So I, I, last time, last service, I asked this question, and I, I was in the minority by a long shot. Was anybody stranded last week? Show of hands, did anybody get stranded? I was stranded. I live out in the country, and I was stranded. Nobody else was? Okay, did anybody feel stranded because it was so cold? Yeah, there's more hands, right? Like, I'm not going out in that cold. So this was my county road, um, if you can tell that there's a road there, with a full-size pickup at the top of it in the drift. If you wanted to know where I was last Sunday, it was not here, because that was what our road looked like, and it took three days for that road to get cleared, right? So we were kind of stuck. We were snowed in. And being snowed in teaches us some things. It's rare to have snow events that snow us in, but it teaches us. Once you're snowbound, you learn some things, especially when you're snowbound for multiple, multiple days. It's like a pandemic. That's a rare occurrence, but it teaches us some things, doesn't it? One of the things that we learned in the pandemic is that we need each other, right? When you're stuck inside, it's really hard. You need each other. We, we realize that we're hardwired to need other people. Even the most introverted people that I know, and I know several very strong introverts, introverts um, you know, during the pandemic were like, I just wanna be around people. Don't make me talk, but I just wanna be around people, right? We wanna be around one another. We have this need to do that. And numerous studies on the other side of the pandemic have proven that that we really do need human contact and that loneliness is at an epidemic level and we continue to seemingly build our world to make us more lonely. We have the illusion that we're so connected. Our cell phones, we can talk to people all over the world with our cell phones and yet our cell phones actually make us lonelier. The more time you spend on your phone, in all likelihood, statistically, the lonelier you are likely to report yourself to being. Come to find out we're hardwired for community. We're hardwired for relationships. And we've been studying this book, The Survival of the Friendliest, which is, again, a kind of a social science book on the study of human nature and how we are hardwired to be friendly and that our survival may very well be contingent on how friendly we are able to make ourselves to be. And Hare and Woods go through a very scientific way to describe how important friendliness is and they trace it all the way back to when you were the smallest of children. I don't know if you noticed this, but during the children's message, I pointed to the screens, and where did all the kids look? At the screens. Do you realize that you start doing that before you can talk? That when a child is eight, nine months old, when you point, they look at where you're pointing. Here's some other things that you may not know. The only other animal who can really do that is your dog. When you point, your dog looks at where you're pointing. When you pretend to throw the ball, it runs after this pretend thrown ball, even though you haven't thrown it, right? It gets a sense of you. And that is odd because even those species that have hands, 
don't understand pointing. So if you point for your cat, it looks at your finger, right? It's only humans and domesticated dogs that understand that way is over there. And that's called theology of, or sorry, theory of mind. The fancy science phrase for that is theory of mind. And it means that we have a sense that the other person has an intent, right? And theory of mind is our desire and ability to know what the other person's thinking, to care and be concerned about what the other is thinking. Us and our dogs are the only ones who care about what other people are thinking. Believe it or not, your cat cares not about what you think. I can assure you that, right? And so we care about what others think. We want to know what they intend. That's why that means what? Over there, right? Because we're trying to get to their intent. We're hardwired for this. And the reason why that's important is because it boils down to two basic principles which are terribly important. One of them has to do with our surviving. So um, the Woods and Hare put it this way. If 100,000 years ago, you were setting the odds of which human species would be the last one standing, we would not have been a clear winner. There were other human species that came before us that had bigger brains, that were bigger and stronger, that really should have won the evolutionary race, but they didn't because they didn't have theory of mind. They could not think about what others wanted so they couldn't love nor could they build community and cooperate our ability to love and to be loved to care to anticipate the needs of others and then to create community is what helps us survive that what makes us a community in which we really care about protecting each other and that is what has caused us to evolve to be kind of the clear winners. And again, we are one of the few species that do that, us and our dogs. Hard to think that our dogs are that smart. They drink out of the toilet, right? Hard to think that they're that smart. But indeed, they are. That's what sets us different and makes us different. And it really brings about some pretty interesting Thoughts, like it is the cornerstone of being loved. What's love if it's not reciprocated? What does that mean? What's that look like? We really do care about what other people think because we care if they love us. We care that the love that we have for them is indeed reciprocated, that matters to us. And if we don't have that, then that's hard. Caregiving, which is a fancy word for ministry, caregiving is rooted in worrying about what other people think. So is our nurture, so is our protection. It's all traced back to theory of mind. 
Now, theory of mind can be taken too far. Some people care way too much <laughs> about what other people think, and it drives them crazy and makes them dysfunctional within because we're so obsessed with what other people think. There's a lot of bad that's rooted in that same place that, again, is mostly unique to us as a species. But the good far outweighs the bad. Theory of mind is the root of friendship, it's the root of community. It's the root of friendliness. And that is so, so terribly important. So, our lesson from Acts. You know, the beauty of all of this is, um, again, all of this social science teaches us what the Bible has already been teaching us from the get-go. So I want to encourage you to open up to the Pew Bible which the lesson was on 995. We're gonna be actually looking at 994 and 995 in your Pew Bible. You at home, it's Acts 2, just right at the beginning of the chapter of Acts is what we're gonna be looking at. Um, and if you brought your Bible on your device or a Bible from home, again, Acts 2, 1 is where we're looking at. I don't know if you recognize the end of this story from Acts, but the end, it was the end of the story of Pentecost. Pentecost is a big, big deal in the church. It's the penta, it's the 50th day after the resurrection, right? So it's 50 days after Easter. And uh, it was the time that was celebrated for thousands of years in the church um, as one of the major, major holidays. It's not as big for us in our world today, I think because Hallmark couldn't find a marketing strategy to make it important for us. You know, but it is a big, big deal in the church. And it is, a, it is a chapter, Acts 2, filled with giant things. These huge happenings happen in Acts 2. The scared, ragtag group of disciples who are left, they're afraid and they're just so worried and suddenly a wind blows in, flames appear over their heads like these tongues of fire. They're overwhelmed with a sense of God's spirit. And Peter takes them all. They march right down to the square where you would thought that they would have been persecuted. And Peter preaches the greatest sermon ever. 3,000 people were baptized and came to the Lord because of this one sermon. I know that counting isn't supposed to be the most important metric, but that's a good sermon. 3,000 people, right? And so it's a big deal. This is when the church is born, if you will. Oftentimes called the birthday of the church at Pentecost. Well, the end of the story, which is what we had read, is not some huge momentous experience, but it is huge in some ways, because what happened? These folks literally cared for each other. They gave up their own kind of personal life and liberty in sacrifice to others, right? They held all things in common. I'm not saying that they gave up and renounced all personal um, material goods, but they held the common purse, they lived together, they um, sold stuff so that everybody would have enough. And day by day, as they spent much time together in the temple, they broke bread at home and they ate their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having goodwill for all people. 
And day by day, the Lord added to their number of those who were being saved. Clearly, this is a utopian community. This is the goal. This is what the church is supposed to be. This is how it's supposed to look. And we haven't met that mark yet. We're not there. This is community. This is love. This is community. This is sacrificial care. It's ministry. The point is, they cared about their neighbors in ways that we don't. And so my question for you today is, how well do you know your neighbors? How well do you care for your neighbors? You know, our, the church is interesting because we are neighborly with each other, but the thing about churches is we kind of sort into people who are like us, and then we have community, and we get along. That's not what Acts is saying. How well do you know your neighbors? Do you care about them? Do you strive to be caring towards them? Not just the people that you're comfortable with, but even the people that you're not very comfortable with. You know, it's, it's the key, according to Woods and Hare, of our survival. And it doesn't feel like we're surviving. It feels like, again, we have this loneliness at epidemic levels, and yet we don't want to care for our neighbors. It seems like our society continues to try to convince us to live in ways that isolate ourselves to make us suspicious of our neighbors and that not really investing in them. And that's a hard thing. We're not very well served by that because I don't believe that God calls us to it, number one, and Acts shows us that. And number two, I don't think we're hardwired that way, which is part of the problem. Years ago, I read a book, um, this book, by uh, Peter Lovenheim, and he... Uh, <laughs> It was just such an odd concept of the book. I was drawn to it and I read it. It was such a fascinating book. It's called In the Neighborhood, The Search for Community on American Street, One Sleepover at a Time. The guy did this social experiment about getting to know his neighbors to the point where he could have a sleepover at their house. Now, doesn't that seem weird? <laughs> that was the hook to make me want to read it. But here's the deal. He grew up in Rochester, New York, on a street that was dubbed as the new kind of neighborhood in America. That neighborhoods were going to be organized a new way, and he was right, because they were. He grew up on that street. He moved away, became an adult. Um, his parents fell ill and died. He wound up divorcing his wife, and he inherited his parents' home. So he moved back into the house of his childhood, and so there he was, back on his same old street. And what happened was, there was tragedy in, in that neighborhood, tragedy on that street. A husband and wife who were two very successful medical doctors who had two children, the husband had a mental health crisis and snapped and killed his wife and took his own life while the children were home. And Peter Lovenheim was just convicted by that. I didn't know him well enough. Could, could, there, could I have said, why didn't I see it? Could I have helped? And so he, he wanted to just get to know his neighbors to the point of like even saying, can I have a sleepover with you? And he was able to accomplish it with about half of them, even become a hospice caregiver to one. 
See, the deal is, is that then it's this mix of getting to know these people, the book, and it's also um, a conversation about how we make neighborhoods. Now, depending on where you live in town, you may understand this. Pastor Sarah, as we speak right now, is heading to Tanzania, and if you go to the indigenous people, um, you, you see like this bomas, the houses, built in a circle with all of the front doors pointing to the center of the circle, and people come out and they have community in the center area between the houses. And in older neighborhoods, houses were near to against the street with giant front porches, because that's what you were supposed to do, be out in front on your front porch. Now how do we build neighborhoods? Well, depending on the neighborhood you live in, it takes a trail of breadcrumbs to get out of there if you don't know your way around because the roads are all curvy and, and hokey. And all of the houses are off the street with fenced in and backyards and giant back porches. And the homes themselves are designed so that all of the rooms that we live in and spend time in are all in the back of the house so that you're home and no one even knows that you're home. Even with electric garage door openers, so you never even have to be seen. You pull in, shut the door, and you're done. And it's this living in isolation that is part of the commentary that he is making, a part of the struggle that we are having in our society. Because every single force, whether it's our phone or how we develop our neighborhoods, push us towards being isolated. And loneliness continues to be this epidemic in our society where we don't have to know our neighbors. We, don't, we can order food online and have it delivered to our home. We don't even need ever to go out. And it's killing us because we are called to know and to love our neighbors. So my question for you is, do you really care what other people think? I'm guessing that you do. And that's a good thing. Can you reach out in love and create community with those around you? even and especially the ones that it's hard to get along with. Can you share that love that we are called in Acts to share with your neighbors? Or at least, can you be friendly? I pray it be so. Let's be in prayer.